Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me. Hope your weekend is going well. Before we get to the main topic, Nord Stream 2, I want to speak about Syria. So earlier this week, Syria suffered a, and Turkey suffered devastating earthquakes. The death toll now between both countries is over 30,000 and is expected to rise. And for Syria, this is especially devastating because this is a country that's just been through a 10-year war uh, that left a lot of destruction. And the reconstruction effort has been seriously hindered by a U.S. policy that is explicitly designed to prevent reconstruction, as U.S. officials openly brag about. It's not even a secret. So, for example, this is Dana Struhl, who is now a senior Pentagon official under Biden, talking about U.S. policy uh, back in 2019, a policy that still applies today. Rubble. And what the Russians want and the rest of Syria, though, is, is, is rubble. And what the Russians want and what Assad wants is economic reconstruction. Um, and that is something that the United States can basically hold a card on via the international financial institutions and our cooperation with the Europeans. So we argue that absent behavioral changes by the Assad regime, we should hold the line on preventing reconstruction aid and technical expertise from going back into Syria. So that's Dana Stroll, 2019, Syria, the government controlled areas. She says most of that is rubble and the U.S. can, quote, hold the line on preventing reconstruction. So with that policy in place, with U.S. imposing sanctions that are explicitly aimed at preventing reconstruction, Syria's ability to respond to this crisis uh, is even more hindered on top of the damage of 10 years of war because Syria lacks the heavy equipment. It lacks the fuel for that equipment and it lacks the fuel for that equipment, not only because of sanctions, but because the U.S. is militarily occupying one third of Syria where Syria's oil reserves happen to be. So Syria just can't respond to this crisis the way it normally could. And this week, the U.S. announced that it was slightly easing its sanctions. It was allowing an exemption for earthquake aid, which is obviously a positive step. But it's also a complete admission that the U.S. policy is to deny aid to Syrians. Because if you have to issue an exemption allowing aid, then that shows you were denying it before. Straight up. So that's a straight up admission that the U.S. policy has been to deny aid to Syrians. Now, as far as I know, uh, individual transactions to Syrians are still blocked. So for example, if I want to send my Syrian friends some money to help them buy some supplies for themselves, for other people, I can't do that because the U.S. still blocks um, transfers like bank tra transfers like that. Uh, so we'll see if they ease up on that. But as of right now, even their policy of easing some sanctions is limited, and that should be noted. And then there's another issue of Syria, which is that not all of Syria is under government control. So, you know, about one third of Syria is controlled by the U.S. military uh, because that's where Syria's oil reserves are and, and wheat. So the U.S. wants to deny that to the Syrian people. Then there's, then there's also the province of Idlib. And Idlib is a province in the north of Syria that's been controlled by a group called Hayat Tahrir al-Sham uh, for many years now. And Hayat Tahrir al-Sham is just basically a new name for al-Qaeda. It grew out of al-Qaeda. Its leader, uh, Jolani, was sent to uh, Syria to fight the 
to, you know, to wage a holy war. He was sent there by Baghdadi, the former leader of ISIS. Because uh, and he and Jalani was Baghdadi's deputy, and he founded Hayat Tahrir, or he founded a group called Jabhat al Nusra, which went through several name changes. Finally, it's called Hayat Tahrir al Sham, but basically that's a new way of saying Al Qaeda. And the U.S. helped Al Qaeda capture Idlib, the province that Jalani now controls, because the U.S. gave anti tank missiles and it gave logistical support to the coalition led by al-Qaeda that captured Idlib from the Syrian government, okay? So now Idlib is controlled by Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, and Idlib is what a senior U.S. official named Brett McGurk in 2017 described as al-Qaeda's largest safe haven since 9-11, and here he is. Thanks, and here at MEI about the very uh, important work about what's happening on the ground, but it is so much more complex. In Idlib province... Um, Look, Idlib province is the largest al-Qaeda safe haven since 9-11, tied directly to Ayman al-Swahiri. This is a huge problem. Yeah, it is a huge problem. It's a huge problem that the U.S. helped create by arming the coalition that al-Qaeda led to capture Idlib province and providing it with intelligence support, which is what the U.S. did. So now the problem the U.S. helped create in Idlib is creating a new problem when it comes to earthquake relief. Because what is this news we've just gotten from Idlib? So the Syrian government is trying to send aid to Idlib. Right. Uh, but the group that controls Idlib, which is Al Qaeda slash Hayat al Sham, um, says this, quote, we won't allow the regime to take advantage of the situation to show they are helping. So Al Qaeda, the U.S. ally that controls Idlib, is denying aid to its own people if it's being sent to government controlled areas. So that's another aspect of our policy in Syria that we've helped create, giving control of a whole province to Al Qaeda. And now, you know, putting al-Qaeda in a situation where they can deny aid to their own people if it comes from the government they're trying to overthrow. And I wonder if back when the U.S. helped al-Qaeda capture Idlib, whether whether they factored in how al-Qaeda might handle an earthquake. And maybe they should have thought of things like that before they sided with al-Qaeda to help them create their largest safe haven since 9-11. So that's just one aspect of just the insanity of our Syria policy, um, cooperating with al-Qaeda, by the way, letting that that province of al-Qaeda, they can receive all the aid they want as far as the U.S. is concerned. It's the Syrian government-controlled areas where most Syrians live. Those are the ones that are under U.S. sanctions. And those are the ones where the U.S. has to issue waivers if they want to let some aid through. Okay, so that's Syria, and we can talk more about that if, if callers want to. Uh, now let's get to the other news of the week, which is Seymour Hersh reporting um, that the U.S. blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And he based this on a source who he says is very familiar with the details. And that source provided a huge amount of detail. Cy Hirsch goes through, uh, you know, extensively how this went down, how it was planned, how the operation was carried out, and um, when it began. And it, uh, Cy Hirsch says that this, the planning for this began in late 2021, which is when Russian forces were on Ukraine's border. But it's also when Russia put out proposals to the U.S. and NATO to resolve its problem. And at the time, the U.S. basically refused to discuss any of Russia's core uh, demands. And instead, now we know from Cy Hirsch, started plotting the destruction of the Nord Stream 2, which, which if Nord Stream 2 went online, would have made it difficult for the proxy war to happen. Because for the proxy war to happen, the U.S. needs Germany. And Germany is not going to be on board with the proxy war if the Nord Stream 2... Uh, 
is operational and supplying it with cheap gas from Russia. So the U.S. took care of that problem by blowing it up. And uh, it's interesting now to see how the U.S. is responding to this allegation. I'm curious to see how the principals in the White House, Jake Sullivan, Blinken, Victoria Nuland, how they answer questions. So far, spokespeople you know, in the State, in the State Department are denying it, but that's their job to, to deny. And just for example, this is Ned Price of the State Department being questioned by Sam Husseini. I'm sure you're aware of the new report from Seymour Hersh, how America took out the Nord Stream pipeline and the White House's denial of any involvement. Given the longstanding U.S. opposition to the pipeline, Secretary Blinken's calling its demise a tremendous opportunity. And Secretary, Under Secretary of State Newland's saying that the U.S. officials were pleased with the destruction of the pipeline, especially the Sweden secretive investigation. Do you think the U.S. government's uh, denial of involvement is credible. I absolutely do, and I repeat it here. Um, so let me follow up on that, if I might. Um, have you or anybody else at the State Department um, any communication with German, Norwegian ambassadors or other allies or officials on this matter? On the matter of Nord Stream 2? On the matter of the latest allegations, um, which give a it is. It is. It is. It would. It would not be. Uh, it, it would. It would not be typical for us to engage allies and partners on something that is utter and complete nonsense and that should be rejected out of hand uh, by anyone who is looking at it through uh, <laughs> through an objective lens. Yes. Go ahead. One, one more aspect on this. One of the allegations that her makes is that it was taken off the CIA in order to prevent involvement, uh, oversight uh, as a covert operation. Did you read the piece? I'm familiar with it. Uh, one of his allegations is that it was taken off the well, ra- Rather than let this, this propaganda get no, 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 aired in, in the briefing room, evil, but let, 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 let me just say it is a fundamental misunderstanding of oversight in our U.S. Congress. Beyond getting his facts entirely wrong, as he has before and very uh, high profile ways. Uh, it is a fundamental misunderstanding suggests that our intelligence community is not subject to oversight. Anyone who writes that, anything who writes anything like that, no, no, uh, no, no, not, not not no, no, no. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's funny. So Ned Price says we can't allow propaganda in the briefing room, where of course his job is to deliver propaganda, as are his comments here. Uh, and I would love, I wish he could have been asked, so where has Cy Hirsch been shown to have gotten facts wrong before? Because so many times, Cy Hirsch reported something which the U.S. initially denies, which later, of course, turns out to be 100% correct. Um, for example, the Abu Ghraib torture scandal, and then also the details on how Osama bin Laden was tracked and killed. Uh, in both cases, Hirsch revealed the real story and has been vindicated, um, just as he has on uh, so many other issues that he's covered throughout his career. And uh, it's an amazing sight to see the U.S. media kind of pretend that Cy Hirsch's reporting doesn't exist. And I'll be curious to see how the principals involved, William Burns, Victoria Newland, Anthony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, how they respond if, if, if they ever they get asked about this. Because, of course, spokespeople, it's their job to deny. And they're allowed to lie um, by law if an a, a operation is covert. But the principals who help plan this, they're in a tougher position. And uh, I'll be curious to see if they give straight up denials or if they give non-denial denials, say things like, you know, uh, we can't uh, allow this to be dignified with, with a response, things like that. But just to recap, here's how pr- some of the principals have spoken about this before. Uh, Jake Sullivan, uh, back in September of 2022, was asked about 
the Nord Stream 2 pipeline bombing, and he basically seemed to suggest that Russia was responsible. Thanks, Jake. In his speech this morning, the president called the Nord Stream pipeline attacks, uh, quote, a deliberate act of sabotage. And he said, now the Russians are pumping out misinformation and lies about it. Should we take that to mean that the U.S. now believes that Russia was likely responsible for this act of sabotage? Well, first, Russia has done what it frequently does when it is responsible for something, which is make accusations that it was really someone else who did it. We've seen this repeatedly over time. But the president was also clear today that there is more work to do on the investigation before the United States government is prepared to make an attribution in this case. So that's Jake Sullivan kind of suggesting that Russia was responsible here. And, uh, you know, um, it's interesting just the pattern of how this is discussed. Here's Joe Biden after the destruction of the Nord Stream 2 giving a very, very uh, meek comment about it. This is what he said. She also asked me uh, earlier about the pipeline. And let me say this. It was a, a deliberate act of sabotage. And now the Russians are pumping out disinformation and lies. We're going to work with our allies to get to the bottom exactly what precisely what happened. And as at my direction, I've already begun to help our allies enhance the protection of this critical infrastructure. And at the appropriate moment when things calm down, we're going to be sending divers down to find out exactly what happened. We don't know that yet exactly, but we're not just don't listen to what Putin is saying. What he's saying, we know is not true. Thank you all so very much. So notice how he's focusing on we have to find out exactly what happened. Exactly, exactly what happened. He says it a few times. He also says, you know, don't listen to what Russia's saying. They're puffing out disinformation and lies. What they're saying is not true. But notice how he doesn't say we had nothing to do with this. We were not involved. Those words and that message never cross his lips. So I thought that was interesting. And I'll be curious to see how Biden and other principals from his administration comment on these allegations now. And um, it's amazing to me that, uh, again, how much effort has been made to ignore Seymour Hersh's reporting, just as, you know, was the case when he also challenged the allegations that Syria used chemical weapons against its own people. Um, that reporting was mocked and dismissed by the usual suspects. But of course, they can't prove him wrong because Cy Hirsch has a track record of being right. And this is one of the most accomplished journalists of all time. And here he is now back again. And it's great to see him back at work. And uh, I hope we get more from him in the coming months. Okay, that's enough of a rant. Um, let's get to some calls. Uh, Sam. Hey, how's your Sunday going? Uh, it's going well. Um, I kept, when you were show, talking about the Nord Stream, I kept thinking of like, I don't know if you're a Family Guy fan, but uh, I just kept thinking of that clip when he's in an elevator with one other guy and he's like smelling something. He's like, um... <laughs> It was you. <laughs> and I just, <clears throat> I just kept thinking of that. Like, well, why would Russia need to blow up its own pipeline? I mean, wouldn't they, the alternative just have been to shut off the pipeline? Yeah, exactly. Um, which is what they have done, uh, which is what they did with the Nord Stream 1 pipeline after all these uh, European nations put sanctions on them. So uh, they retaliated just by shutting off their gas. Um, but we, the Biden administration has wanted us to believe that Russia would go ahead and blow up its own pipeline. Um, it's just, and so many people took that at face value. It's, if you go back and read the U.S. media accounts from, uh, from the start, all of them say the most likely suspect is Russia. It's just, um, 
complete uh, it, it just it's just nonsensical. And what's interesting is a few months ago, finally, that started to change. And you had some reports in The New York Times and The Washington Post saying, oh, OK, well, there's no conclusive evidence yet that it was Russia. And that sort of gives the appearance that our media is like doing their job, like by allowing some kind of like, uh, you know, deviation from their initial line. But the point is, but notice what they're not doing. They're not asking, well, then who is responsible and was the U.S. responsible? Let's do some reporting. Let's ask all of our sources, see what we can find, because they don't care about that question because they know the answer. They know the U.S. was responsible. Someone who does care, though, about, you know, facts is Cy Hirsch, and he got the reporting to back it up. And um, it's a really interesting display. Well, I mean, you know, with Cy Hirsch's uh, history of lying with the Melee Massacre, the Abu Ghraib, you know, the 2013 chemical weapons story. I mean, he has a track record of lying, obviously. How can you trust a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Aaron? Yeah, and that's what – see, that's what bothers these people so much about Cy Hirsch is he can't just be dismissed the way, you know, others with far less credentials can. You know, Cy Hirsch has won every major journalism award. He's broken – so many important stories. He's really, I think, the most impactful journalist in U.S. history. I can't think of anyone more impactful than he is. So he can't just be dismissed. Um, and uh, that really pisses people off. And so, you know, they'll attack him for things that he got right, like, for example, Syria or how bin Laden was killed and on and on and on. Um, and if, yeah. if it's a choice between uh, Cy Hirsch or that uh, guy, um, Bellingcat, whose credential was, quote, from playing video games. I mean, I'm going to have to go with the ladder on that one. Yeah, there you go, playing video games, and, you know. Um, it's yeah, exactly. Uh, so real quick, I wanted to talk to you about the whole Syria thing. Uh, now, yeah, now HTS is blocking the aid, and I went to the, you know, so all the news outlets to see how they're describing it. They go, oh, well, rescue efforts are, are hampered by the, the complications of war or warring factions, and I'm like, if this was the other way around, the first thing you read is, Assad blocks aid from rebels. And here's something that I thought you would find interesting is, uh, I saw on the BBC, here's what's crazy, they did a video, um, it's, it's probably on their YouTube channel still, it's from the BBC Newsnight or whatever, they did an image where, they show an image where they show all the different groups of, of the, uh, like the regions of Syria and who controls what, right? And they broke it into four groups, Syrian government forces, Kurdish forces, Turkish forces, jihadist forces. And yet in the exact same video, they say the rebel held area is still uh, up for, uh, you know, is still uh, unable to get aid. Well, how is it you just admitted this is controlled by jihadists and yet it's simultaneously rebel held yeah. area? I, I can never understand that, that, that disconnect between the two, that they acknowledge that the, there's a group that is an Al-Qaeda offshoot, yet at the same time, it's... A rebel held area. That's really interesting. You know, um, another example of media um, just uh, propaganda uh, is like, you know, erasing its own findings is from the New York Times this week. So the New York Times initially had a sub headline of a story about Syria that said this. It said this, quote, Syria is not able to receive direct aid from many countries because of sanctions. Right. True. Mm -hmm. That's a rare admission of fact in the New York Times about Syria. Syria is not able to receive direct aid from many countries because of sanctions. That's February 7th. And when I saw that, I tweeted it out. And I said, here's an admission from the New York Times that, quote, Syria is not able to receive direct aid from many countries because of sanctions, unquote. And then I said, um, so given that, unless you're a monstrous sadist, 
why aren't we lifting the sanctions, right? Um, the next day, the New York Times changed that, he that heading. So it went from saying Syria is not able to receive direct aid from many countries because of sanctions to this. That those words were erased, and the Times replaced it with, the, with, with this. Uh, as the Syrian government tightly controls what aid it allows into opposition-held areas, border crossings with Turkey have been a lifeline. So just totally erasing what it said initially, which is that, the, that, that Syria is being denied aid because of sanctions. And that's gone because the Times made the mistake of telling the truth. You can't have that. You, no. you can't have that at all. Well, anyway, there's a queue lining up, but I just I find it so comical that, um, you know, they, the U.S. is the U.S. literally occupies Syria's oil fields. So they can't even get oil to the people. They have sanctions. And yet the group that does get a lot of money from the U.S. and other allied countries is those ever loving white helmets that can get tunes of billions that we're up to now. But, yeah, uh, and they're going to they're going to reap a windfall from all this because. All the U.S. efforts are going to be directed towards funding their partners like the White Helmets and, and denying aid to the, to the Syrian people. The rest of the people in the, the majority of the Syrians who live in government-held area don't matter, Aaron. Exactly. I mean, when, when you accept yeah. that, everything makes sense. Exactly. Thank so, you, Sam, for the call. Okay, Brent. Hi, Aaron. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so there's a, a rally in, in D.C. called Rage Against the War Machine. You spoke about this on Jimmy Dore's show. And uh, my question is regarding a couple of the speakers at that rally. One of them is Scott Ritter. Um, I believe he withdrew because of uh, allegations or actual findings of, of sex, some sort of sexual pedophilia or something like that. And another is... Another speaker uh, is Jackson. Ritter, like just to clarify, Scott Ritter has never been convicted of uh, uh, sexual abuse. He was found guilty to have been in a chat room online where a undercover officer was posing as a teenager. And Scott Ritter and this uh, undercover officer engaged in some sort of sexual chat online and Ritter was basically convicted over that. So there was never actual anything to do with it, with the, with, there's never any act that harmed the well-being of a child. There was this act that he was caught in a sting operation. And of course, Ritter, Ritter disputes even the claims made about him and what he was convicted of uh, in terms of what happened in that chat room and what this officer was, was, was posing as or something like that. But the point is, to say he's been accused of anything to do, like any kind of pedophilic act, uh, any kind of abuse is is not true. Okay, so regardless of that, I feel that's not re relevant. I mean, it's, I guess people, we live in a world where it's, people take it into account, but we want to talk more about his actual message. Uh -huh. And you had him on his show, and um, he seemed very, he believed that Russia was had just some sort of justification to evade Ukraine. And I feel and another speaker in this rally, Jackson Hinkle, I specifically asked him if Russia was justified to invade Ukraine and he said yes and he in fact he has made t Z t-shirts selling he uh -huh. sold Z t-shirts yes to, uh, to make to to make money off the war. Yet he's speaking at a a rally called Rage Against the War Machine. Do you believe people like Jackson Hinkle have any credibility to speak at a rally called Rage Against the War Machine when they specifically have stated positions 
where they are supportive of war? Uh, I think people have the right, first of all, to make the argument that Russia was justified in the invasion. Uh, I think it's um, a debatable issue. I, I have my position. I can't justify it, but I understand why people make the case that it was. And, you know, I, I think to be morally consistent, you have to be open to that argument that Russia had a legit case to make. Um, it's not the but case that you... I make, but hold on And so, and look, um, you know, Jackson has issues, especially on social issues that I really don't agree with. But I don't want to get into the business of saying who has the right to speak and who doesn't. Um, I'm not an organizer. There are people at this rally who are speaking that if I were organizing, I wouldn't have picked. But I didn't organize it. And I think the overall issue of stopping a disastrous war, that to me is paramount here. And I don't want to get into sort of judging who is fit to speak and who isn't. Um, the organizers have the right to decide who they uh, want to have speak. And I, you know, I don't want to get into to, uh, nitpicking about who can and can't based on whether I agree with everything they have to say. So, so, so that's my take on, on that. Right. But we can also argue then about the United States funding the war because they're helping a country that was being invaded and Ukraine is just trying to fight back. I don't agree with that position, but we can also make that argument that the United States is simply helping a country that's being invaded. Sure. Yeah, sure you can make that argument, but I don't see how that's relevant to whether or not these people have the right to speak. Um, You know. uh, When you rage against the war machine, I feel like to be anti-war... They're raging, to... they're raging against their own war machine, against the U.S. war machine. Uh, that's what they're talking about. Okay, but the Russian war machine is, you could be okay with that, but the United States war machine, you can't. Well, the uh, again, in terms of who is appropriate to speak at a rally in the U.S. where, where, where people don't control what the Russian government does, they're responsible for their own government. So one's moral position on what a foreign government does has less value than one's position on what their own government does, because that's the government that they can impact. And um, I don't want to cancel people just because they have views that I don't agree with. I just don't, I don't believe in that. Um, And I think it's, we're going to have a problem, I think, in this country uh, being effective is if people are, you know, if there's so much, like, like this march has seen so much infighting and cancellations, and I just think it's a problem, which I think could be avoided by being more focused on what the goal is, which is to stop a proxy war rather than having everyone be perfectly on message with what I might personally favor. Uh, thank you, Brent, for the call. Sasha. Hi. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Um, hi. So uh, I would just like to reflect on um, on uh, Sai Hirsch's actually attacks on a Sai Hirsch's piece uh, regarding the the Nord Stream, and um, I'm sure you've seen a piece that um, uh, Glenn Greenwald did, and where he defined the journalism as uh, the, the real journalist does publish the story if he believes it's true rather than if it's going to harm someone. And, and I think this is, uh, this is showing the state of journalism nowadays. Of course, there are exceptions, um, but I think the majority of the journalism in the corporate and the mainstream journalism is, is, is in sort of 
inducted coma, you know, um, um, uh, where, where, you know, like it, it, my definition or what I, what I associate with definition, right definition of journalism is what the Gen- Jeremy Paxman said, where he said that as a journalist, he believes that he's right and duty is to present all the facts um, and then to believe in intelligence of the people to make up their own mind. Whereas most of the journalism nowadays is turning to the activism, you know, it's, it's our propaganda, of course, where, where they, will, they will willingly ignore the story, um, even if they know it's right, just because it doesn't fit the narrative. And I think this is, this is becoming a pandemic of, 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 of really wrong and, and, and messed up journalism today. Uh, I agree um, with you. Yeah, I mean, look, Cy Hirsch is one of the most accomplished journalists of all time, and uh, there's in recent years the media the, the media has really changed. Um, journalists have gone from being, you know, um, uncompromising about searching for the facts to being partisan actors and um, serving the interests of the state that they're supposed to cover skeptically. And so, when someone like Cy Hirsch comes along, who happens to be one of these rare people who does his job. He he's has to be treated as a pariah. And we've seen that been happening for a long time now with him. But unfortunately, he still has his integrity and his values and he's not going to compromise them. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that's great for 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 rest of us. Um and I just like I, you know in and I'd like to reflect on 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 your on your on your yesterday's piece on a Substack. Um where in as much as as much as size timeline on how we got to the destruction of of the um, the, the Nord Stream, uh, your piece made a, a very solid timeline um, up to how we got to destruction of the peace. Yeah, and I think what is what is scary there is that we have this like old neocon uh, wet dream of of breaking. The Brzezinski wrote about it of breaking apart. Russia and then then Madeleine Albright at the times was also saying that it's not fair for such a country, one country to have all the resources. So the idea of breaking apart Russia and continuing what was happening in the 90s where, you know, they were allowed to have, they were allowed to uh, oligarchs to get so rich that they would probably given all these breakaway countries and become new autocratic uh, 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 presidents of these states. And nobody in the West would, would mind that as long as it's, it's you know, easily kind of balkanized uh, states that they could manipulate it. But I think that they managed to sell that, that web dream to the Europe and European Commission. And I speak about Europe and I'm concerned more about Europe because I live here, where we could hear at the beginning, not so much nowadays, but we could hear at the beginning a European Commission saying that Russia has to lose at the, at the battlefield, that the, the, the regime change has to happen, and then consequently break away of, of Russia. And I think... It, it's mental that they they still believe in that, and and they they they, they went into all this to to break away a nuclear superpower. You know, um, yeah, it, it's just it's just mind boggling how 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 they could they could buy into that and how they could really believe that this is a possibility. I I totally agree with you, and thank you for the call, Sasha. Cheers, Anthony. Hello, good afternoon, morning, Aaron. What's up? Morning. Yeah, well, I, I was head on my mind that, uh, well, I thought the, obviously the Nord Stream, I think it was pretty obvious before, but just from the statements people have made and the, what, just the circumstance that it happened in. But 
I guess now if it confirms it for more people, good for them. Uh, uh, I'll take it. But, uh, you know, our government, you know, you heard Ned Price just lying through his teeth left and right. And I mean, there's just I think there's a big credibility crisis in the USA right now. I mean, no one believes it on the Nord Stream few i don't know not many people believe it on this ufo thing that's going on right now and uh you know so i don't know what 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 can uh what can they people do about this huge credibility crisis i mean to like keep um and in my opinion you know i think it's it's a problem to like keep uh taking things at face value and you know participating in the system in the way that it's set up to and um i'm not saying to stop paying attention to that or like you know how some people say uh focus on local politics you know that's not what i'm saying at all i think you know everything that happens on the federal level should be paid attention to but uh dealt with in a in a different way you know kind of like uh like how max blumenthal did the thing outside the Zelensky speech where he was uh, kind of hounding the ukraine delegation or uh you know how the people heckle aoc and uh, people at their rallies uh i think uh just uh, different tactics are needed to deal with this level of dishonesty what do you think i uh can only do what i do which is i just try to stay factual and encourage critical thinking and uh you know everyone's got to make up their mind on how they approach things. But yeah, in general, look, uh, we have to, I agree, not take things at face value because we've been lied to so many times. So I, I think that's good advice. Um, thank you for the call, Anthony. Patty. Hello? Hello, Patty. Hey. Heather. Uh, hey, sorry. So I apologize. Um, hey, um, so I, I just got two quick questions and, and I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, the first is um, you, you referenced earlier that the Cyherger's um, reporting on the Osama bin Laden raid has is, is largely been vindicated, and I, I just wasn't aware of that. So it, it, even if it's just leaving um, some sort of link in the notes, to, I, I'd really the uh, official story. Up. The official story about how the U.S. tracked bin Laden was that. Right. Um, was that the U.S. found him out via like a, a courier who was following him, and the U.S. used some amazing spy methods to find Bin Laden. And that's not what happened. Cyrus reported that actually the U.S. got a walk-in, uh, somebody from the Pakistani military who walked in to uh, a U.S. facility in Pakistan and told them that the Pakistani military knows where Bin Laden is and it's here, and that's how they tracked where Bin Laden was. And Hirsch also reported on how the circumstances uh, in which in which bin laden died that there was that he fired a gun at u.s forces or something like that 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 was all complete propaganda too and that they basically just killed them in cold blood and there then there wasn't a fight and along with killing uh you know uh, members of, of bin laden's family around him that's pretty much what it was and that w the walk-in part was was totally was was proven to be true later on i can't remember in what source but if you look it up uh you'll see that it was proven to be exactly correct and that's what I was unaware of. I did not realize that the walk-in yeah. part was okay. Great. And I don't know. I know you're a busy person, but if you could later on, like, um, leave a link in the notes or whatever. The second um, question I had is that you know the um, I've read big fan of Cyrus. I've read nearly all of his reporting, um, and it, this this last one does seem to be a single anonymous source, right? And um, 
it, it's it's it, I mean, he seems to be laying his entire reputation on this one source, and I can't see anywhere in the reporting where he did he was able to corroborate anything that the source told him. So, like when you did your reporting on um, the OPCW scandal, you were able to corroborate at least some of what your sources were telling you through internal communications and outside experts. And I don't, I didn't see any of that in this latest reporting. So, I mean, I get it's Cy Hirsch and he's proven over and over again to be correct, but it does seem like a huge risk he's taken here. I'm predisposed to trust Cy Hirsch and to trust that he wouldn't put something out there that he couldn't back up. Um, that's my bias. Uh, because I just and the, that bias is born out of a track record of being consistently right and having good sources, and I just don't think he'd put his reputation on the line if he didn't feel very very confident in what his source told him. And uh, I certainly feel a lot more confident in Cy Hirsch's one source than I do in all these stories in places like the Times and the Post that are based on multiple sources that turn out to be a- absolute lies, which has happened again and again and again. One hundred percent, Aaron, and I appreciate your time. Thank you for taking my questions. Thank you. Okay, Matthew. And just to note, everybody, we have to wrap up. I have to wrap up earlier than normal today, so I'm going to try to get to as many questions as I can. But apologize in advance if I don't get to everybody. Okay, Matthew, go ahead. Morning, Aaron. Yeah, last call. I kind of ate my lunch a little bit. Uh, it's very much in the line of what I was going to bring up, so I'll just go quickly. Uh, uh, I don't know if you saw, I thought you would get, be amused by it, but I don't know if you saw the, the Snopes piece on the Seymour Hersh Nord Stream pipeline article. I didn't know. It, it is very much just, it, it's funny too, because it's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, brilliant journalist Seymour Hersh, uh, incredibly fact, factual article, but one anonymous source. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I, I, to me, when I when I was going through that, uh, I was the thought that struck me was just like, oh man, where was this kind of like critical? We need to really confirm a lot more of this before we just take it as gospel. When it came to like RussiaGate, you know, yeah, or anything. Look, where like, was that? let's see, let's see one article from any of these sites pointing out that these RussiaGate stories are based on, on are based on anonymous sources and there's no evidence for them uh, or the Russian bounties in Afghanistan. Like when the New York times ran the first story about the Russian bounties in Afghanistan, that was based on multiple intelligence sources. How did that one turn out? It turned out to be like everything else, a complete scam, you know? So this idea that like, because Cy Hirsch has one source, then it's inherently suspect uh, is completely undermined by the fact that so many stories have been shown to be scams when they have multiple sources. And I, you can go down the list of, Especially in Russia Gate, there's just there's a bottom of the cliff. And to, to answer the last caller as well, uh, with a possibility, I'm not saying it's absolutely necessarily true. One of the reasons we uh, might not be seeing Sai uh, go out of his way to uh, bolster the credibility of his source in the article is that there might not be a way to do that. His source might be so close to the matter that there might not really be a way to do that without giving them away. Um, that's right. So it could, it could a, be just about protecting his source. I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind. Absolutely. Yes. 
Uh, but anyway, Aaron, thanks, thanks as always for your service. Thanks for everything you do, and you have a good one, brother. You too. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Uh, Gator. Hey, Aaron. Um, just on, on this source thing, I was sort of running this by Michael Tracy, and uh, basically Cy, the criticisms that come through Cy Hirsch, you know, they're very standardized, aren't they? Basically, it's um, it's a quick ad hominem. Uh, basically, don't recognize Cy Hirsch as what he is, which is uh, the most decorated journalist ever. Ad, ad hominem him, sideline him, flat out deny it. Uh, find some weak critique like single source, and then and then basically after a year or whatever, it'll be pro- it'll be proven to be right. That's pretty much how it runs with Cy Hirsch, yeah, because his because his stuff's so explosive that that that. Um, the the, the uh, establishment basically has to do has to has to deny it, um, but this thing about single sourcing. I mean, if you're a journalist wanting to protect multiple sources, you could you could simply obfuscate the fact that you've got ten sources by saying single source. Or at the same, but at the same time, um, if you do have one single source and it was this, that single source had access to all of the information inside Cy Hirsch's whole article if i was a cia guy i'd go well that narrows the field down then because there could only be five people who um knew that much of the operation and so we'll just go and hammer their hands but so to me it's not it doesn't even make sense to pick up on the single source because if cy hirsch has planted that deliberately to protect the fact he's got four then he's beaten a lot of these stupid people who just go it's only a single source is that fair to look well, at it that way? You know, I, I, I don't see the thing is Cy is not going to print something false in his stories. He's just not. So if he has multiple sources, I think he would say so. Um, okay. That's my look. Look, I, I have no special insight here uh, into you know who who his source is. I can just tell you that I don't think he would. I don't think he would print something false, even if it was to protect a source. I just don't think he'd do that. Um, but you know, the point is. Um, We'll see what else comes out, and we'll see how the principals who are named in the article react to it. I think that will be very telling yeah. when they start to get questioned about about the details he reveals. Do you mind if I just ask you one other thing? Yeah. The the um, Cy Hirsch has actually understated um, the the real meaning of what is what this article is because he's put in quotes, you know, it's an act of war, but pretty much that's that's as far as the claim about war goes because but really if you think about the ramifications this is the biggest false flag attack in the history of possibly mankind that we can know about that's been ousted outed relatively close to the to the event when it still has currency meaning uh, because the because the war it's initiated or has been part of is still running and it's also an, an ally on ally on ally attack. So the US and Norway have attacked not just Germany, France and the other owners of the pipeline and Russia, but it's also attacked every single part of the EU bloc that required any gas from that pipeline. And then NATO's charter is not rigged to uh, run an Article 5 invocation when one member attacks another member so they've got to kind of go hang on an attack on one and is, is an attack on all we need to have a conversation about what we do about this that's not come up anywhere and also if you think about the downstream effects of this there's even issues around the fact that those four or five players knew what the gas market effect would be of this 
And essentially, they have rigged themselves for insider trading. And Norway has definitely gained from that. And also LNG shipments and everything else and anyone connected to anything financially connected to the energy markets, they're all they're all on insider trading from this attack. And I bet those players are financially up to their eyeballs in investments to do with the energy markets. I mean, that's and that's just scratching the surface. There's way deeper. Than got that. it. So, got to get it. Uh, you know, you see I what do. I mean? It's huge. I do. Thank you for the call. OK, Jason. And then we're going to have to wrap it up. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, hey, Aaron. Well, I'll be really quick, but um, uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Any predictions? Uh, I'm going to – I think the Eagles are going to take it, but who knows? I, I don't I don't watch football too closely, so that's my uh, – <laughs> who, uh, who, who do you think will prevail? Uh, well, I'm from Pennsylvania, so I, even though I'm not an Eagles fan, I kind of got to go birds, you know? Gotcha. Killed it into it pretty much. Yeah. Um, so the other day I was listening to um, you and Max, and you had uh, one of you had mentioned um, a good charity to donate to for the Syria disaster. That's kind of the best way to donate. Um, could you could you refresh my memory what that was if you have it offhand? Uh, Max recommended that, and let me just find it. I have it here somewhere. Uh... Uh, the Syria Solidarity uh, Movement. Uh, sorry, sorry, the Syrian Support Movement. Um, and their website is syriasupportmovement.org. Okay. All right. That should be easy enough. There's another, there's also the Syria Red Crescent, um, which I believe you're allowed to donate to now. Uh, because of the sanctions exemption that the U.S. put through. Um, yes, yeah, Syrian Red Crescent. I would, and they, and that is S-A-R-C dot S-Y. Okay. Uh, although, actually, going to that website, it's blocked right now. And maybe that's because no. of sanctions, I don't know. But um, Syrian Red Crescent. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I can try to check out one out, too. Yeah, I heard of, like, GoFundMes and stuff being rejected. Yeah, and I'm sure the United Nations also has a some sort of funding for Syria too. That you know, and, and the U.S. Uh, allows donations via the UN. So th- that that that's another way. Okay. Um, yeah. Did Did you see perhaps like the moratorium and lifting sanctions because of this? I thought I saw something about that. Yeah, they did. Like the U.S. exempted some sanctions for six months, but we'll okay. see how far that goes, and we'll see what kind of impact it has because you know people are still wary about being uh targeted because if they break sanctions so so we'll see and as far as i know individuals still can't send money to their loved ones and friends in syria as far as i know so hopefully that will change as well okay hey thanks for the info have a good weekend you too all right i have to wrap it there thanks everybody for tuning in